This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Have you guys ever played the telephone game? Yeah, okay. So it's that game. For those of you that didn't snicker real quick, uh, for the, it's that game where you sit in a circle and one person has a, a phrase and they whisper it to the person next to them and then they whisper it to the person next to them and you keep going around the circle till you get back to the last person and then they say to the first person, here's what I think you said. Oftentimes, it's not what they said. Sometimes because somebody thought they were cute and they just intentionally changed it. But most of the time, the reason it's different is because what we hear is an interpretation of what someone else said. And then we remember an interpretation of what we heard. And so what we remember hearing is not exactly what was said. And don't we do the same with God when he speaks? We hear an interpretation of what God said or of someone else's interpretation of what God said. And then we remember an interpretation of what we heard said. And in the end, we, we didn't really hear and remember exactly what God said. We heard what we hoped he said. We heard what we wanted him to say. And in the end, we end up misunderstanding what it is that God said. And so Jesus, he, he confronts and he corrects some of these misunderstandings in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew chapter 5, including our misunderstanding of love, of who we are called to love and how we are called to love. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we continue our series, Following Jesus, inspired by Henry Nouwen's book, uh, Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety, as Jesus extends to us a challenge this morning. And that challenge is to not only love our friends and to love one another, as we saw last week, but to even love our enemies. And before we dive into this challenge, I want us to begin our time together as we have each week of this series uh, by joining me in, in praying a prayer. This one uh, from the Book of Common Prayer about this very topic. And so pray with me. O oh God, the Father of all, whose Son commanded us to love our enemies, Lead them and us from prejudice to truth. Deliver them and us from hatred, cruelty, and revenge. And in your good time, enable us all to stand reconciled before you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, so Jesus begins here first by confronting our misunderstanding of love, and we've got plenty of them. So look down here with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says to the crowd that's gathered, he says, You have heard it that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Right? You, you've heard it said. You've heard an interpretation of what God said. You heard what someone else interpreted God to have said, and you selectively remembered an interpretation of what God had said after centuries of playing the telephone game. And as a result, Jesus says, you've, you've misunderstood what God actually said about love. You've restricted the scope of love by limiting how you love and who you love. And God's people, they had limited how God had called them to love, saying you shall love your neighbor, when in fact what God actually said in Leviticus 19.18 was you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They dropped off a couple of words, didn't they? 
Loving your neighbor as yourself, loving your neighbor the way you would hope to be loved if you were facing that same struggle, if you were in that same situation. Instead, what they'd done is they'd created levels of love, tiers of love, platinum, gold, and silver love, if you will. And it's like, I love, I love me a 10 out of 10, right? We love ourselves. Love you like... I'm not pointing to anyone specifically. Let's just be clear here. I'm pointing to the post. I love you, an 8 out of 10, but that guy over there, he's like 2 out of 10. And uh, Jill, she's not here, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like, you know, I love her 3,000, you know? We create tears of love. But not just that. Not only did they limit how God had called them to love, they limited who God had called them to love. They'd restricted the definition of neighbor, only loving their own people, only loving their own race, their own religion, those who looked like them, those who spoke like them, those who believed and behaved like them. And they thought to themselves, if I only need to love my neighbor, doesn't it make sense then that I would hate my enemy? The problem is God never said that. Not not even anything close to that. In fact, he said the exact opposite. He, he called his people to love the stranger and the sojourner in Leviticus 19, right? The immigrant and the outsider. He called his people not to rejoice when your enemy falls or stumble in Proverbs 24, but to care for the enemy, feeding the enemy, giving them water when they are thirsty in Proverbs 25. But what they had gone and done is they, they made love something God intended to be broadly inclusive and made it blatantly exclusive. And don't we do the same thing? Having heard an interpretation of what God had said or what someone said God had said and remembering our own selective interpretation of what we hoped God said, what he, we wanted God to say, what we thought he meant to say, And as a result, we restrict our definition of neighbor as well based on all kinds of things, based on political party and the way people vote. We do it based on their denomination and the way they worship. We do it based on culture and citizenship. We do it based on the way people live and what they believe. And the list goes on and on and on. Treating those with whom we disagree as our enemy, don't we? And here's the thing, when your loyalty to your own grows so strong, it is easy to loathe the outsider and treat them as an other, right? We, we tend to loathe the other and treat them as an outsider. That was effectively the premise of Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. And yeah, it takes a lot of small font pages to actually dig into why it is that we can come here and we can worship like this on Sunday and then go and spew the things that we do to each other Monday through Saturday. Because see, what we do is we draw, we draw a circle around those that we like and those who like us. Viewing those inside the circle as our neighbor, treating them as our friend, and viewing those outside as another, treating them as an enemy. Because, see, we are prone to view the world through binary lenses. Everything is black and white. There are only two groups of people. There are those who are for us and those who are against us. There are our friends and there are our enemies. There's the good guys and the bad guys. And you know who we always end up to be? We are always the good guys. 
Henry Nouwen writes in this chapter, he says, um, says, our identity is often dependent on having enemies, isn't it? In fact, we don't exist without an enemy. We define ourselves by what we are opposed to. We define the enemy, and we allow the enemy to define us. So often, we are known by who we are against rather than what we are for, don't we? We are a living, breathing, walking political campaign ad smearing our opponents. We are known by the hatred of our enemies more than our love for one another. The singular thing Jesus said last week that we as his followers should be known for. And then what we do is we take these two buckets, those that are for us and against us, friends, enemies, good guys, bad guys. And what we do is we equate value and we equate worth to them. Determining who is deserving and who is undeserving. Excluding the undeserving enemy. Not only from relationship with us, but even relationship with God from his love and his grace and his mercy. Because see, we not only view the other as an outsider, as an enemy, we no longer view them as an image bearer. Stripping away their humanity, robbing them of their dignity, treating the thou created in the image of God as an it in the words of Jewish philosopher Martin Buber. And so the question before us this morning is this. Let's begin by asking, who is your enemy? Who is my enemy? Who is that other I've treated as an outsider? Who is outside that circle you've drawn, whether it is a group of people or a specific individual? Who have you excluded? Who have you not only failed to love but chosen to hate? And why is that? See, I think what we come to realize over time is that hating our enemy costs us something, doesn't it? It robs us of time. It robs us of our energy. It robs us of relationship. It robs us of our own humanity, our own Imago Dei. Enslaving us, allowing the enemy to have power over us now and says, as these feelings of hatred, rejection, jealousy, and resentment, they enslave us in a self-made prison of fear. All things Jesus came to free us from. And that's why he confronts our misunderstanding of love and then goes on to correct our misunderstanding of love. Look down here with me. Let's see what he says next, verse 44 to 48. He says, but I say to you, mind you, this is God speaking, God incarnate, the internal word speaking. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, my followers, you, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Notice here, Jesus doesn't correct our misunderstanding by saying we will never have enemies. No, he corrects our misunderstanding by saying that we are to love our enemies. We are to love one another, 
fellow followers of Jesus, we are to love our neighbor, those whom God has put in our path and in our life, and we're to love our enemy. We're to love the world. We're to love those who persecute you, he says. In in Luke 6, he says we're to love those who hate us, who curse us, who abuse us. And what he's saying here is the only way to release this self-made prison that we have created, the only way to free us from that prison and release this power that we allow the enemy to hold over us is by loving them and loving them like Jesus, not destroying them, but loving them. Can we just acknowledge what's we're all thinking right now that of everything Jesus called us to and commanded us of, this challenge to love our enemies may very well be the most difficult thing that he ever said to us. We can, we can nod our head, yeah, to that. Imagine that, that name, that face, that group that, that the Spirit laid on your heart just a few moments ago. The challenge to love them. This may be the most difficult. This may be the most profound. This may be the most countercultural of any of the things Jesus said. Because if we're honest, there's no shortage of people that have lied to you or let you down, who have hurt you or humiliated you, who have wronged you and hated you, abandoned you. And so like Jesus is saying, rather than retaliating them against them, I'm supposed to love them? Like you don't know my story, right? You, what if... What if I told you I was abused? What if I told you I was molested as a child? What if I told you I was raped? Jesus is calling me to love my rapist. He's saying, I'm just supposed to get over it. I'm just supposed to pretend like nothing ever happened and just invite them to be my neighbor. Because, man, I ain't Mr. Rogers. Why would Jesus ever ask me to do that? How can I ever do that? Like, I can't and I won't. Before we reject the words of Jesus, let's make sure we understand what he's saying and what he's not saying. And let's do that by seeing what we know to be clear and certain in Scripture. So let's back up a second. What do we know to be clear and certain in Scripture? Well, number one, we know from 1 John 4, 8 that God is love, right? God is love. Love isn't just something God does. It is who he is. It is very nature and character. And so when Jesus says, for God so loved the world, that was just an extension and an outpouring of who God is as love. God is love. What we also know from Genesis 1.27 is that we are created in the image of a loving God. That means that we share in his communicable attributes, things like grace and mercy and justice and love. Albeit imperfectly, our image has been marred by sin, but but we still share to some degree in those attributes. The third thing that we know to be clear and certain in Scripture is that love is not contrary to truth, right? But rejoices in the truth, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 6. It rejoices in the truth, truth spoken in love, he writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4. And so to love your enemy can't mean to deny the truth of any harm that they may have inflicted or to cover up any abuse that may have occurred. Love is not contrary to truth, but also what we know to be clear in certain scriptures is that love is not contrary to justice. In fact, what we see in scripture is the two go hand in hand, love and justice. 
the prophet Hosea, he called Israel in chapter 12 to hold fast to love and justice, two things going together. The prophet Micah said in in chapter 6 that God requires, not suggests, requires of his people to do justice and love kindness, right? God views justice as an act of love, doesn't he? God views justice as an act of love. And so then the fifth thing that we know to be clear and certain in Scripture is that love is not tolerant of injustice, is it? Love is not affirming of sinful behavior, That's true of God's love towards us as our Heavenly Father. Hebrews 12, 6 says that he disciplines the one he loves. Confronting our sin, exposing injustice. And so what that means for us is that loving our enemy does not mean covering up sin. Right? It does not mean covering up sin. It does not mean we will never suffer the consequences for our sin, whether it be relational consequences, financial consequences, or legal consequences. And it also does not mean remaining in an abusive relationship or environment, be it a home or a church. Because loving, because doing good involves seeking justice and correcting oppression, God said to Isaiah in chapter 1, verse 17. And that leads us to the sixth thing that we know to be clear and certain in Scripture. It's that the way of Jesus is a way of love. Right? We saw last week in John 13 that our love should look like Christ's love for us, right? Reflecting his love, a mere image of his love. And that our love comes from Christ's love. It is the source of our love. It is what enables us to love. A love that Paul says is patient and kind. That it does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Because what we know to be clear and certain in Scripture, because it says it right here in, in chapter 13, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians, is that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Do you notice in, in what Paul wrote, he, he didn't write adjectives describing how love feels. No, he, they're verbs describing what love does because love, the way God defines it, is not an emotion we feel but a choice that we make and an action that we take even on behalf of our enemy. Jesus here, he's not just simply asking us to feel feel love for our enemy, but to express that love. And so with that in mind, what we know to be clear and certain in Scripture regarding love, I want us to go back again and let's listen to the words of Jesus again. And I want you to hear his heart behind these words. Just listen. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Did you hear there how 
Jesus isn't challenging us on who to love, but he's showing us how to love and why we love. He's showing us how to love our enemy and how we grow to be more like Jesus as we love like Jesus. And he gives us six ways here, right? In the first, he says that loving like Jesus, we pray for our enemies, right? Loving like Jesus prays for enemies. He says, pray for those who persecute you, who abuse you. In Luke 6, he says, bless those who curse you. This is how we love our enemy. And here's why. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, writes, through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy. Mind you, not literally going to them, but metaphorically going to them. We go to our enemy and we stand by their side and plead for them to God, interceding on their behalf to God. And mind you, not simply praying for an acknowledgement of the, the pain that they've caused or apologizing for the hurt that they've inflicted because that typically results to them simply reverting back to the same behavior at some point in time. We are not praying for mere behavioral change. No, we are praying for the Holy Spirit within them to convict them of their sin, feeling remorse over what they've done, repenting of that sin. Because only then, only by turning from that life and turning to God, can there be any hope for true reconciliation, any hope for any form of restoration of this relationship to take place, not just their relationship with you, but their relationship with God. And so what if today and every day we took a step of faithful obedience and following the way of Jesus by loving our enemies, by simply praying for those who persecute you, praying for those who hate you, praying for those who have cursed you, praying for those who may have even abused you. I think it gives new meaning to our phrase, don't just say you'll pray, but stop and pray. Loving like Jesus prays for our enemies. Number two, loving like Jesus, it leads to greater intimacy with God. Look here again at what he says in verse 45. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I think we all, we all desire greater intimacy with God, don't we? Yeah? We all desire greater intimacy with God. That's, that's one of the things, that's one of the motivations for why we started the way. It is, is to help us with that, to help us obtain and find that greater intimacy with God. Because so often we struggle to find it, don't we? We read a lot of Bible, we say a lot of prayers, we serve, we give, we, we're doing all the things, we're checking all the boxes, and we still don't have it. In part because harboring bitterness towards others creates barriers to greater intimacy with God. That bitterness is a barrier. It is a self-made prison that we have trapped ourselves in. But let's not hear what Jesus isn't saying here. Jesus isn't saying that by loving your enemy, God's going to love you more. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that his love must be earned. No, what he's saying is that withholding love from others, even from our enemy, it prevents us from fully experiencing God's love. It prevents us from living out who we already are, God's beloved, his chosen child. 
Eugene Peterson writes in the message, it prevents us from living out our God-created identity. Loving like Jesus leads to greater intimacy with God. Number three, loving like Jesus imitates the love of God. He goes on to say in verse 45, for for God, he makes the, the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, in theory, as parents, um, like we are to model the behavior we would like our children to imitate, don't we? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because chances are we've not done that all the time as well as we'd like. And what we know to be true of little kids, if you've ever been around a little kid for more than 30 seconds, is that um, kids see and hear everything, don't they? Everything, even the things when they're not even in the room. It's like they got a sixth sense when they're little. And what they do, they imitate what they see and they imitate what they hear. Everything. Typically when you're out in public for everyone else to see and hear at which point, mom says, where did you learn that? And they look up at you, dad. Thankfully, our heavenly father doesn't have the same bad habits we do, does he? Now, God is love. He loves his creation. Pouring out his, his common grace, we refer to it on all of creation, on everyone. And this is the love we are called to imitate as his children. Loving the entire world, including our enemy, as a reflection of his loving character as his beloved children. Number four, what we see is that loving like Jesus loves those who do not love us. Right? It loves those who do not love us. Verse 46, he says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Now, it's, it's easy to love someone you like. It's easy to love someone who is lovely. It is easy to love someone who loves you. It is easy for me, for example, to love my new pandemic pup, Alice, right? Oh, right? How can you not love her? Even if you're allergic to dogs, you're not going to sneeze because of a picture, okay? Um, it's okay. She's lovely. She really is. I'd love to have you over. You can come meet her. I just want to sit and look at her for a hot second. Man, she's home sleeping on the couch right now, probably waiting for daddy to get home. But loving something lovely, it's so natural that even tax collectors do it. Now, tax collectors, mind you, don't just think of the IRS, which are not probably our biggest, uh, we're not the biggest fans of, but they were the most vile and despised people in first century Greco-Roman culture. Even they, the worst of the worst, even they love those who love them. And so Jesus here, his challenge isn't to love like the world, it's to love like him. He's saying, don't love like them, love like me. And this is what makes the way of Jesus, of loving like Jesus, so radically different from the way of the world and the way the world loves. Because followers of Jesus aren't just to love those we like, we are to love those who do not love us. We are to love those who do not like us. We are to love those who are different from us. We're even to love those who hate us and curse us. We are to respond by loving them. And number five, loving like Jesus welcomes those who are not like us. And it welcomes those who are not like us. He says in verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers and sisters... 
If you only greet your fellow followers, your, your friends, those you like, what more are you doing than everyone else? Don't even the pagan Gentiles do the exact same thing? Too often, though, and I think some of you may have even experienced this, too often the church draws this impenetrable circle around its own people, doesn't it? And, and when we do that, people who are new, their first Sunday here, people who are different, they're never able to break through. And that's how the world loves. And Jesus says, don't be like them, be like me. Don't just welcome those you know. Don't just say hello to the people you know. Don't just welcome those you like. Don't just welcome those who are like you, but welcome anyone and everyone who walks through the doors. Because when we make someone feel unwelcome, whether it be in the way we treat them or the way we speak to them or the way we speak about them, ignoring them or failing to acknowledge their presence, their humanity, or their existence. We're not only saying we don't want you here, we're saying Jesus doesn't want you here. But I think you'd agree we should be some of the most welcoming, hospitable people ever to have existed in the history of the world, amen? Amen? Because we want more people to meet Jesus. We want more people to encounter his presence. We want more people to experience his love, no matter who they are, what they've done, or how different they may be from us. And so here's how we go about doing this. You see a slide in the lobby. You see a slide in here before service. If, if you call redemption your church home, this is the place in which you worship, and we are your church family, the people you worship with, then I want you to think of yourself as a host in your home. You're a host, and that means each and every one of us that call redemption home, we share in the responsibility of welcoming guests into our home each and every Sunday, making this a place to belong for them, for anyone who walks in our doors. And we do this by meeting somebody new to you every Sunday. Now you're like, well, this is my first Sunday here. How do we define someone new to you? I'm glad you asked. I'd love to tell you. If you don't know their name or you don't remember their name, they're new to you again. I don't care if you've forgotten their name a hundred times. They're new to you. Go ask them their name. And for those of you that right now are like, I hate when he does this. I do not like meeting new people. I do not like going up and just introducing myself. Maybe for you, meeting someone new to you is simply a smile. Maybe it's simply a wave to a person. I'm telling you, a smile and a wave can change someone's day. Oh, wow, that alliterated well. That's why we don't do the turn and greet anymore. Because some of you asked us, don't do the turn and greet anymore. We just do the turn and wave. Meet someone new to you today after service and welcome someone who might be different from you. And number six, loving like Jesus, what this does is it conforms us more and more into the image of Christ. Look how he closes. He says, you therefore, my followers, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, let's not hear what Jesus isn't saying. Jesus knows this side of heaven, we're never gonna be perfect in all things at all times. Um, 
He knows we're going to stumble and fall. We're going to make mistakes and let others down. We are going to make enemies, and we are going to fail to love our enemies. That's not the point he's making here. No, the Greek word here for perfect, teleos, it means uh, bringing something to completion, uh, uh, becoming mature and fully developed. There is a, there's language of growth. There's language of a journey here. And, and John, the apostle John, he writes in 1 John 4, 12, if we do this, if we love like Jesus, he says two things. God's love abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And what Jesus is saying is that if we faithfully follow the way of Jesus, living out our God-created identity, we become more like Jesus, loving like Jesus, conformed into his image. Because following Jesus is not about being perfect, but about faithfully pursuing the one who is. Amen? This is the way. This is the way of Jesus. This is a way of love, a way that loves others, that loves all others without asterisk that loves one another, that loves our neighbor as ourself, and even loves our enemy, that loves the entire world, and loves the way God loves. And what I love is that God didn't simply declare his love, did he? No, he displayed his love, and he displayed it on the cross. He gave us this example of love. And when we come to the cross, we see the ultimate display of love for the enemy and that while we were still sinners and that while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us, dying for you, dying for me. And it was there on the cross that Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was praying for you and he was praying for me. What we see on the cross is a love that loves without limits, that knows no boundaries, that forgives all wrongs, a love that brings us peace, a love that embraces us and changes us and challenges us and enables us to go and to love our enemies and to love them like Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.